you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Well, we are going to flick around to a few different verses in the book of Proverbs. So it's probably easier for this morning if you follow with me along on the screen, but you can keep your Bibles out and use those as we go through the sermon. Grandchildren are the crown of the aged and the glory of children is their fathers. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Hear my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give you delight to your heart. This is the word of God. God, thank you so much, Nat. Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, for those who I haven't met, which feels like about 50% of the room, my name's Pat. Uh, it's delightful to be here today. We're going to be talking about family, but more specifically, parenting. When thinking about parenting, I resonate really heavily with the boxer Mike Tyson quote. He says this, everyone has a plan until you're being punched in the face. <laughs> See, parenting is complex. It's full of extremes. See, I would die for my kids without question, but sometimes I don't even want to be in the same room as those people. They can destroy the most well-laid plans that my wife and I have laid out, but they can also make the most mundane, boring moments incredible and special. They can bring me to tears of joy and tears of rage with such simple actions. I think Proverbs 10, 1 encapsulates the whole experience when it says this, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. Gladness and sorrow. See, they can bring us great joy when they're being wise, and they can bring us utter sorrow when they're being peanuts. Today, we're going to be tackling the super fun topic of family, and more specifically, parenting. Now, I realise that not everybody's in this life, age and stage, but some things to note. Firstly, we have 100 kids in City Kids at the moment. Let's put our hands together for that. And that, that kind of alludes to a couple of things. Firstly, there is something in the water at City on a Hill, Melbourne East. People have been busy. Keep going. That's a great thing. You're, a lot of you are bringing many crowns of glory to your grandparents. Uh, this is a wonderful thing. The other thing is that it shows that a lot of us are in this life stage. So if you look around, you see tired people, worn out people, people who look like a bomb's just gone off. That's the parents in the room. But I want to start with some other acknowledgements. Uh, for some, this is going to be a hard topic to hear and think about. See, maybe you have a really rough relationship with your parents or with your kids. Maybe you and your spouse are currently at total odds with how to parent your kids. Maybe you're doing the hardest job in the world in single parenting. Maybe you're trying to parent through a divorce, which is incredibly hard. Maybe you desperately want to be a parent, but biologically or circumstantially, that isn't happening for you. And maybe, tragically, your parenting journey has been cut short by death, or maybe you've had your kids taken away from you for other reasons. I just want to say from the top, 
If you are in any of these circumstances, hear this. You are seen and you are valued by this church. We love you, we see you, and we want to walk through these situations with you. You see, in the Old Testament, the people of God, Israel, was made up of many different tribes. And those tribes are made up of a whole bunch of different families. And we see in the New Testament that the people of God is widened to not just include those tribes and families in Israel, but it's widened to the Gentiles, to the different tribes and nations that we see gathered in this very room today. You see, the church of Jesus Christ is the household of God. We in this room are a family. When one of us hurts, we should all hurt. When one of us is feeling joyful, we should all feel joyful. That's why this moment that we're celebrating today, the baptisms, this is a family moment. This is four people declaring that I want to be a part of this wider global family. So like it or not, if you don't have kids, the young people around you, the young people in this room, the children of other Christians in this room are your problem. All right, including mine, maybe especially mine. They're watching you closely. So this isn't an excuse for you to tune out uh, feeling like I'm not in this stage of life, so this isn't going to be relevant for me. No, my prayer is that today as we look at what the Bible has to say about being a family and specifically parenting, that you realise that maybe you're parenting more than you thought. You are an influence and you are an encouragement to everybody around you. For those who are, who are new to this series or maybe joining us for the first time, I see a lot of new faces in the room for the baptisms. A big welcome to you. Uh, we are walking through wisdom in a digital age. Uh, we are unpacking a book of the Bible called Proverbs. And what we've been doing is kind of comparing this ancient wisdom literature from a couple of thousand years ago uh, to what we see in society today. Because in society today, we don't actually think about explicitly or deliberately wisdom that much. We're focused on love, we're focused on fulfilment, we're focused on work, uh, but our quest for wisdom is largely ignored. However, in the Bible, we read that the quest for wisdom is in fact a noble thing. It's something that God says is worthy of a lot of our life. But not, uh, so just for some context, uh, all, if not most of the Proverbs were written almost 3,000 years ago, and it's actually been really incredible to see how it stacks up against the wisdom of our current age. If you don't know what a proverb is, a proverb is like a pithy, memorable saying uh, that you can kind of uh, rattle off that has a deeper meaning. So modern day proverbs are things like this, get your ducks in a row, aka be organised, uh, better late than never, or absence makes the heart grow fonder. Well, one of my personal favourites, there's more than one way to skin a cat. In my experience, there's about three good ways to skin cats. I'm just kidding. But in Australia, we find that not all proverbs are equal, right? You, are, you often have to uh, compare proverbs against one another to see if they carry the same weight. So a famous Australian proverb is this, good fences make good neighbours, which is the exact opposite of the message of the Bible, which tells us to love our neighbours as ourselves. So here we are today comparing the wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of the Bible. So the book of Proverbs is made up of a collection of these different sayings. They shed things on uh, wisdom in life and things like family or money, social justice, friendship and many more. And through this series, we are stepping through some of these topics and having a closer look at what Proverbs says about them. 
And today, as I've mentioned, we're talking about family. Now, family life has changed a lot in the last 3,000 years, so it's worth doing some context work for what the author might be assuming when he's writing things, these things down and telling them to us. You see, families 3,000 years ago were bigger than the nuclear families that we see today. Families often consisted of multiple generations living and working and doing social life together under the same roof because everything happened together. Family units were usually 20, 50, 100 people large because education didn't happen outside of the home. It just, there wasn't a space for it. It didn't exist. It was assumed that it was the responsibility of both parents to be the primary educators of their children or their elders in the home at least. See, it wasn't until about 800 years later in the Greco-Roman era that education was ever first outsourced. And then fast forward to the, 19, uh, sorry, the, the 15, uh, 1760s, the Industrial Revolution happened. This was a massive turning point for education in the family system because for the first time ever, work became outside the home. People, parents, often men, would travel away from their home to find work and do work and then send that income back. So they would spend hours and hours away from the home and it was at this moment that mothers became the primary educators of their children. And during this time, churches continued to be built in urban areas away from the factories, and tragically, church became focused just on family life and rarely spoke to the life of work. And then we had this this problem where a lot of men lost their faith, and, and Christianity especially became kind of a thing that women did only, because it was so explicitly focused on the home. And then in the uh, 20th century, both parents started working outside the home, and so the raising of children became even more outsourced to schools. And then in the, in the 1950s, we had the birth of what we now call the nuclear family, not a family that is radioactive, a family that is made up of two parents and their kids living separately away and isolated and very independent from the rest of their extended family. You see, this moment was yet another piece of the educational puzzle that was taken away from the home, taken away from children. Now let's fast forward to the 21st century where we find ourselves now. Not only do we have both parents working greater hours than ever before, we have ended up with a vacuum of teaching in the home and in society. You see, the wisdom that our kids get is even more farmed out to schools, friendship circles, the government, and the internet. It's got to the point now that we, as adults, have even lost our confidence in parenting because of the lack of generational wisdom being passed on through our households. The reality is is that a huge percentage of us have zero idea what we're doing when it comes to parenting. The Barnett Institute in the US conducted a survey of parenting and it found out that half of US dads, who are already dads, don't feel ready for parenting. And it's only slightly higher among Christian men who are asked the same question. We don't feel ready. So what does the Bible, specifically what does Proverbs, have to say about parenting? Is there anything that can be learned from the writings of people 3,000 years ago? It's been argued that one of the key themes of the books of Proverbs is the forging of strong families. However, I agree with most commentators that the book actually seems to be talking more about the forging of godly families, which have been worked over and shaped by a relationship with God. 
And as wisdom literature is arguing for what the good life is, a godly family seems to certainly be part of it. See, many Western cultures today define a good family as one that provides well for its members, for its children with possessions and opportunities and experiences so that they might reach their full potential. But the book of Proverbs, where we are today, thinks more in terms of raising children to respect others, handling and handing down the truths of their faith and modelling what it is to be living in the service of God. That's what Proverbs is about. You see, the goal of a parent in Proverbs is that children become people who fear the Lord and develop godly character. And this happens in two main ways. It happens in direction and it happens in discipleship. So let's walk through these now. Firstly, we're going to have a look at direction. We can see from chapter one that the book of Proverbs is framed as a conversation between a father and a son. That is how wisdom literature is framed. In verse 8 it says this, Hear my son your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. See what's interesting about the opening statement of the book of Proverbs is it's really common, it was really common for uh, teachers in those days to call their pupils son. This was like a generic term for students so it could be applied and used for everybody. But the use of the term father and mother in this verse would suggest that this is an actual father-son in an actual family situation. And we can see this impassioned plea from the author to his son when he says, do not forsake your mother's teaching. This is more of an emotional phrase than a command to keep the instruction that he has taught. See, there are a few things worth noting from this proverb, I think. I think the first thing to observe is that the teaching of children in the home is the dual role of both parents in each family. Hear your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. See, this is not something to be done by one parent so the other parent can put their feet up and be the fun parent all the time. We had the quickest snapshot just then of 3,000 years of family life, but you can see that there's already a contextual problem when we come to reading and applying this book. And a mistake that a lot of us make when we're reading anything to do with family, gender roles, or work in the Bible is that we only think post-industrial era. That's where our mind goes. We only think the mum is in the household and the man is away at work. See, but Proverbs and throughout the Bible, when it comes to teaching your children, it always, always speaks to both men and women working side by side in education. Today, sadly, uh, see, see, today to raise our kids, it takes a mother and a father working health, in a healthy marriage to raise our kids and disciple them before the Lord, to help our kids to flourish, to push our kids, to help them grow up. And today, we can sadly misunderstand and misapply a father's headship to being some macho, distant role, not concerned with the busy work of households or the children. However, the instruction explicitly given to the households, uh, sorry, to husbands in Ephesians is this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, this is a little note to the dads in the room. You are the primary person responsible for the spiritual well-being of your children. You are the primary person responsible for the spiritual well-being of your children. When it comes to giving direction and wisdom to your children, who is doing it? Is it the world? Is it the devil? 
Is it the flesh? See, man, it's up to us. We need to be actively forming and shaping our kids. This isn't something that's just going to happen by accident. You need to be reading the Bible with them. You need to be praying with them. You need to do this in partnership with your wife. You need to do this in partnership with your church. Do this in partnership with everybody around you, but don't you dare fob this responsibility off to anybody else. Let's not be a wimp. But I digress. You see, parents can do this direction through a whole number of ways. They can, they can educate and steer their children around the family table, but Proverbs clearly speaks about giving some instruction, but it speaks a lot also about giving discipline. You may have noticed that when you read through the book of Proverbs and you're reading it through a parenting lens, there is a lot, and I mean a lot, about discipline. And it makes sense because when Carly and I are finding our parenting tough, the parenting books that we reach for the most are the ones about discipline. We are always trying to figure out healthy and effective ways to discipline our kids. Proverbs 29:17 says this, Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. See, the whole idea of discipline is that discipline actually points our children to the Lord in the long term. Discipline is, I think, the hardest thing to do because it requires discipline of my own heart. This is where I raise my hand in clear shame and say, I don't always do this well. I am not always good at discipline. See, when Sim is going off his rocker, physically overpowering him is my absolute temptation. And it's never for his good. It's always purely for my comfort. You see, to bully my son into behaviour change is the absolute easy option. But to discipline him into character change requires far more effort, far more care, far more intentionality. See, we're not just trying to raise children who don't make noise. We're trying to look for effective action that actually leads to character and heart change in our children, that steers our children away from folly and steers them towards wisdom. The key thing I want to tap into here is that discipline, no matter what it is, is necessary for correction, but it needs to be thoughtful. See, a mistake that we can make is that we read Proverbs and we hear references to the rod and extrapolate that we should all hit our kids more. I'm sure that sounds really tempting sometimes, but it's actually not what, the, uh, what Proverbs is saying. It's encouraging us to hit our kids with, the discipline in, with discipline in an effective way. So for some kids, that's going to be a smack. For other kids, that's going to be taking away possessions. For others, it's going to be grounding them. For Jamie Castle, Neil and Kirsty's kid, get this, her punishment is not being allowed to serve in church on Sunday. (laughs) Whatever Neil and Kirsty are doing, do that. They're nailing it. See, to let our children go in their own folly is to not teach them that their actions, their sin, their selfishness, their consequence won't have an effect. If we ignore and forget to discipline our kids, we're going to create little monsters. And see, all of this is part of a bigger thing that we're looking at called discipleship. So let's turn and look at Proverbs 22, verse 6, when we turn to look at discipleship. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train up your child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he's not de- he will not depart from it. 
Now, it's really important to remember that a key thing when engaging with Proverbs is that we're reading principles and not Proverbs. Uh, sorry, and not promises. We are reading Proverbs. And what this proverb isn't saying is that all Christian kids of all Christian parents are going to grow up and become Christians. Tragically, we know that some kids who grew, grew up in amazing Christian households don't take up the faith of their father and mother. And we also know that parent, uh, kids who grow up in really average households uh, can have a flourishing and amazing faith despite their mother and father. See, this proverb, I would argue, is more about intentional parenting than it is about anything else. Intentionally parenting the children that you have been blessed with. See, the Hebrew literally is initiate a child in accordance with his way. Now, this can mean kind of two things. First, it could mean direct a child in the way that they should go. So emphasising the direction a child should take in life. To paraphrase, to kind of set them down on a path and watch them go forward. Secondly, it could mean teach a child in accordance with his nature, right? So to to meet them where they're at, to train them in age-appropriate ways. And I think it's a combination of the two. See, it's focused on direction, but the direction is very specific. It's the way that that child should go. In other words, we're never giving children generic training in holiness, but we're we're showing them specifically how they might flourish as individuals in their vocation with their gifts, their skills, their abilities to flourish in fulfilment of God-given in a God-given life. That is the goal of Proverbs. See, the way that I train up Simeon and the way that I train up my daughter May are going to be really nuanced. They're going to be different. They're not the same person. You see, Proverbs never says, do X for Y result. This proverb, I would argue, is saying, know your child. Disciple your child. Be intentional with your child. John Tyson, he's an Aussie expat. He's living in uh, New York City. He's a great pastor. He's a fantastic author. And he's written my favorite, one of my favorite books called The Intentional Father. I highly recommend it. And I think we can use the term parent uh, rather than just father because it, it applies to it for the sake of these parents, uh, for the sake of this sermon. But he kind of talks about that the fact that there's five different types of parents. He says, firstly, there's the irresponsible parent. Right? This parent has zero meaning, meaningful input in, their, in the life of their child. They're the kind of parent that the child doesn't even know who they are. Right? You could also call it like sperm donor parent. Like they, they just don't exist in the life of their child. They don't pay child support. They have no meaningful contribution to the kids whatsoever. These parents exist in our society. Then there's the ignorant parent. This type of parent has absolutely no idea what they're doing. They continually wreak havoc on the lives of their children without even realising it. They don't know anything about parent, being a parent and they don't try to learn or improve. And because of this, they end up projecting their own brokenness constantly onto the lives of their children. The next one is the inconsistent parent. This parent is torn by personal ambition. Right? They, they have the capability of doing better at this parenting thing but they just constantly prioritise their own job, their own hobbies, their own career, and they have these binges of selfishness, and these binges of selfishness are are followed by binges of guilt, these feeble attempts to fix everything. But for their kids, there's no sense of security or consistency, and there's no sense of identity that is actually passed down to their children. 
And then there's the involved parent. And I would say that this is the bar in Australian society. The involved parent, this type of parent, shows up at every sporting event. It takes the time to put the porn filters on kids' devices. They get a lot of things right, but because of the busyness of life and their failure to ask the right questions, they never seek to understand specifically who their children are and why God has given them to them. You see, this parent is actually a noble parent, but it's one that's haunted by this constant sense that there is another layer to to this parenting thing, that I actually should be doing something a bit better. I would argue that this is most parents in our society. But then there is the intentional parent. And this is what I think Proverbs 22.6 is arguing for. The intentional parent is deeply invested in discovering who their children are and how they can help raise them and help them to reach their redemptive potential in this life. See, they seek to understand the children that God has given them, and they want to form them into young people who can fulfill their God-given purpose. See, they see parenting as their central call before God, and they do it with all of their might. This kind of parent leaves multi-generational blessings in their wake and in the wake of the lives of their children. This is an awesome parent. I would like to put forward that the book of Proverbs is a call all throughout it to be an intentional parent, to prayerfully grow and nurture and foster a faith in the lives of each of your children as individuals rather than as a one-size-fits-all approach. Intentional parents can have eternal impacts on their children and their children's children. We see it in 2 Timothy. Uh, Paul has this amazing little tidbit at the start and at the end of his letter. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. And he goes on in chapter uh, 3 later, he says, And how from your childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. See, Lois and Eunice nailed it. They nailed it. A grandmother and mother who clung to the faith in Christ Jesus and were able to teach and pass on that faith to their son, Timothy. How good is it what we're seeing here today when we see this uh, generational uh, faith being passed down to guys like Ben? See, I had a chat with uh, Ben and Chloe. I've loved getting to know them. I've loved hearing their story and they shared a part of it. And I've asked if I could kind of share a bit about the journey that they've been on in the last year. And they said, yes. See, a year ago, basically, they didn't fully know Jesus. They saw Christianity as a cult, as having cultural value, so they decided to, like many, bring their kids along to church to learn the values, to learn the morals, and to get kind of the, the good juice. But through regularly coming and having solid people around them, a lot of them are represented here, they've come to meet Jesus. They've come to a saving faith in Jesus. They've had their hearts, they've had, sorry, they've heard the freedom that the gospel offers and they've had their lives flipped upside down by it. It's so amazing. See, even though Ben grew up with Christian parents, he was afraid of what living for Jesus would look like. Chloe and Ben have both realised something massive. They've both realised that they've got a heavenly father who loves them so much. That the Lord of the universe, who keeps the planets in orbit, who keeps the stars in the sky, who controls absolutely everything, loves them and has done the most amazing thing for them ever. You see, Chloe and Ben are not perfect people. 
if we had their book of life read out to us all, we'd all be horrified at the thoughts, the words and the deeds that they've done. But we'd be hypocritical to say that we also think that they wouldn't be horrified if they knew the thoughts, the words and the deeds that we've done. See, they used to think that if they just tried harder, if they just lived a good enough life, if the good that they did outweighed the bad that they did, then that would satisfy and that would be a good life. That would be a godly life. That would be enough to maybe get them into heaven one day. But then the truth dropped on them. That God didn't want their good behaviour. He wanted a relationship with Chloe and Ben. Imagine this with me. See, imagine you've got a child, and some of you are going to have to imagine really hard because this is a perfect child, not like the one you've got. (laughs) And at school, they're the top of every class. They're the best in languages. They're the best in science, maths. They're the best athletes. They're the lead in the school play. They're school captain in year eight. And let me ask you, as, as a parent... Are you proud of this child? Of course. They're a good child, but it gets even better. Because after school, they don't drop their bag, they hang it up. Yeah. They prepare dinner for the whole family. They do their homework, they help their siblings, they serve the dinner, they do the washing up, they go and they tutor some underprivileged kids, and then all of a sudden, the kids are in bed by nine. Is this a good kid? Yes, it's a good kid. It's the kind of kid that makes you look good as a parent. But there's one part of their behaviour that I haven't mentioned. In all their life, through everything they've ever done, they've never once spoken to you. You congratulate them on the school performance, they're absolutely silent. You thank them for cooking dinner, they walk straight past you. You go to give them a kiss goodnight, they roll over and ignore you. Is this still a good child? It's not, because as a parent, what is it that you want most? How do you gauge goodness? How do you gauge relationship? It's through love, a loving relationship. And you'd sacrifice all of that good behaviour to know that child. You see, Ben and Chloe, Percy, Claire, they were once silent children. They were once living a life out of relationship for the one, with the one who made them, who knows them, who cares for them. And now they live for him. We've heard that today. Do you know how the effect that that is going to have on the generations that come after these people? Do you know how blessed Sophie and Grace are to have these two as parents? They've gone from having amazing parents who have loved them in a great way to having intentional parents who are raising them in a godly way. Praying with them, reading with them, forgiving them, showing them grace, doing everything in their power to hand down the most beautiful relationship ever. You see, church, if the goal of Proverbs and parenting in Proverbs is to hand down the wisdom of God, to know God and to live for Him, then the goal of parenting in Proverbs is for us to hand down this beautiful relationship with Jesus that we have. It's a hard call, but that is the call from Proverbs. I'm going to pray now. I'd love for you to pray with me. God, we thank you so much uh, for the call that we've had to be intentional parents that uh, raise our kids in godly character. Uh, Father, we pray that as we seek to do this, that we might understand that we don't do it on our own accord, we don't do it in our own strength, but we do it through focusing on you. 
Our Lord, you lived the life that we couldn't live. You died the death that we should have died, that we might be reconciled with you. As parents, as people who are looking after young kids, as people who are looking after and being part of the, your body, your greater family in this very room, we pray that we might be leaning on this truth day by day. God, help us. Help us to be good parents. Help us to be good single parents. Help us to be good uh, parents in hard circumstances. Father, may we point our kids to you in all that we say and in all that we do. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.